You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Outdoor Edge knows that providing a freezer full of meat is part of the reason we all hunt. And what better way to bring it full circle than to process your own wild game? Outdoor Edge provides a full lineup of traditional and replaceable blade hunting knives and complete wild game processing kits to bring your wild game from the field to the freezer. Visit OutdoorEdge.com and at checkout, enter the discount code N-A-T-I-O-N-3-0 for 30% off. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Huntivore Podcast, powered by Sportsman's Nation, where we celebrate the hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. No egos. Fork in hand, beer in the other. No status. A piece of red meat on a hot grill and turn it into a burnt offering. Just catch it, cut it, cook it. This is episode 95, Naked Turkey Schnitzel. On this episode of Huntivore, Nick opens up with a poem. So God made a farmer to memorialize his late grandfather, David Otto. Grandpa was called home after 96 years on earth. He was a great-grandfather, husband, steam engine enthusiast, and farmer. Switching gears, Nick breaks down naked turkey schnitzel, how unbreaded turkey steaks can be flavorful, moist, and an easy addition to any menu with the use of a marinade. All this and some heavy thoughts on this episode of Huntivore. And on the eighth day, God looked down on his planned paradise and said, I need a caretaker. So God made a farmer. God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. I need someone with arms strong enough to rustle a calf and yet gentle enough to deliver his own grandchild. Someone to call hogs, tame cartankerous machinery, come home hungry, and have to wait until his wife's done feeding the visiting ladies, and then tell the ladies be sure to come back real soon, and mean it. So God made a farmer. God said, I need somebody willing to sit up all night with a newborn colt and watch it die, and then dry his eyes and say, maybe next year. I need someone who can shape an axe handle from a persimmon sprout, shoe a horse with a hunk of car tire, who can make a harness out of haywire, feed sacks, and shoe scraps, whose planting time and harvest season will finish his 40-hour week by Tuesday noon, and then pain from a tractor back will put another in 72 hours. So God made a farmer. God had to have somebody willing to ride the ruts at double speed to get the hay in 
ahead of the rain, and yet stop midfield to race and help when he sees the smoke from his neighbor's place. So God made a farmer. God said, I need somebody strong enough to clear trees and heave bales, yet gentle and gentle enough to tame lambs, wean pigs, and tend the pink-combed pullets, who will stop his mower for an hour and splint the leg, the broken leg of a meadow lark. It had to be someone who would plow deep and straight and not cut corners, someone to seed, weed, feed, breed, and rake, and disc, and plow, and plant, and tie the fleece, and strain the milk, and replenish the feeder, and finish the hard week's work with a five-mile drive to church. Someone who would bail a family together with a soft, strong bonds of sharing. Who would laugh and then sigh and reply with smiling eyes when his son wants, <laughs> when his son says he wants to spend the rest of his life doing what dad does. So God made a farmer. On Wednesday, heaven received David Otto, my grandfather very influential person in my life, very influential person in my family and in my community. He was 96 years old, and he lived a heck of a life. Anyway, heaven's got a good one, and now we just have to deal with it. Well, hey, folks, beautiful morning here in Michigan. I tell you, here in uh, in April, you just got to be ready for anything. Uh, warm spring days followed up by sleet, rain, cold, blustery wind, just to go ahead and reset and have warm days again. So, yeah, ups and downs when it comes to weather and wondering if the warm temps are actually going to stay. This week has also been a bit of an odd one, too. Uh, My family and I have been on vacation. It's been a little while since we've gone anywhere. We took the camper from Michigan all the way down to Kentucky. Uh, We did a stint down in Mammoth Caves there with the kids and just got a chance to enjoy a different part of the country. So, yeah, we uh, loaded up and went down. Actually, Mom and... Uh, the other <clears throat> the other family that we were with, so all the kids and the wives were in a chase vehicle. They were in the minivan, and then Dad got to drive in the truck with the two dogs and pull down the camper, which, you know, that was a great eight hours of just being able to sit and be in some quiet, to just sit and reflect I feel this time of year, right after like the holidays, spring comes up, and then all of a sudden there's a lot of things that hit your plate, either at work or at uh, within the family or just plans that you've put together. A lot is coming at folks at this time of year, or at least for me. It seems like everything all of a sudden comes to a crescendo, and having having some time to just sit and relax and refocus was just a wonderful wonderful thing. So yeah, dad got to drive down eight hours. And I tell you, for anyone who is a professional truck driver or someone who lives on the road and has to either pull a trailer or even just just drive, uh, hats off to you. That is a difficult job 
to be able to focus on not only what your rig is doing to make sure that uh, you're properly hooked up, that all your tires are at the right, right pressure, that everything is smooth, in line, level, going down the road, that you can keep up with the pace of traffic, that you can make sure that you can get up and down the hills and make sure that everything is good. But on top of all that, to now be concerned with other people around you who may not be having the same quite the same consideration that you are having to your own vehicle. So it was a uh, it was an experience to to be able to do that, especially when when pulling a trailer behind you. That's something that's probably my longest trip, logged a bunch of hours. But at the same time, I got a chance to uh, really just kind of reflect on on what this season is about what are some things that that I want to do my my goals that I've kind of set along the side just because you know things got hectic at work and at home and you know things had to go on the back burner but now we're able to then bring those to the forefront and like we did mention here at the beginning of the episode we had another event happen that brings a true uh true shakedown to our family is that yeah we did lose my grandfather not a not a surprise but still nonetheless it's a it's a loss and it's a pain for all of us it's it's a moment that i i i knew it was coming he uh i mean hell 96 years old the man lived a hard life as a farmer i mean growing up in the depression having a bout of polio where it, gave him a, a limp and a, a missing digit on his hand. He he then was having to farm on his own with his father because his brother was sent off to war. So one brother was over in the war and the other brother was at home. And he just, he fell in love with, with farming. He fell in love with the land. And being able to then stay on the same piece and be able to cultivate it and transform it and bring life to it to raise animals was an, an exciting part uh, of his life. And that's, he just fully enveloped into that. Um, he also had a real uh, passion for uh, steam engines, steam tractors, real old technology that just took things of the earth, water and fire and wood and coal, and convert that into power through a large boiler. These steam tractors, he had three in his collection, uh, two massive ones and a half-scale smaller one. And these, these pieces of machinery, they were basically just bombs sitting there, large iron boilers just filled with pressure from steam and to cultivate that into motion and through gears and pulleys and pistons and seals and pipes be able to then be revolutionary and these these gentlemen that saw the creation of these things just completely enveloped their life into it and I have fond memories as as a child growing up, you know, shoveling wood and hauling 
cut wood into the boiler to be able to heat it up. Learning how to how to get suction from uh, from water, basically trying to you know prime the pump. So of this of this giant machine, you have to get down and you know suck the end of a of a hose so that you can then quickly jam it down into uh, the water to then have it continue to to create the flow to draw the water up into uh, the boiler to be able to to learn how a flywheel and a piston work together and through the motion of that flywheel to be able to drive this this vehicle forward or even to throw a belt on that flywheel and now have the vehicle power something else the ingenuity and creativity and <laughs> the fast moving heavy metal pieces with uh fire and steam and pressure like all this comes together comes together it's like one of the most dangerous pieces of creation in front of us and yet at the same time it's totally necessary for farming to happen and to see him work this machine and to learn how to be able to start the fly, how to be able to to take off the brake and then to put it into uh, forward and, and drive this. Even as like a, a seven and eight-year-old, like getting an understanding of these pieces of machinery and being able to make it work, like it was just an accomplishment. And I could just see from, from his eyes that he loved putting that information and he loved putting that knowledge into both me and my brother. And yeah, it's a, it's a very, it's a very cool moment, a a thing for us to share, uh, at that point, not to get you wrong that like farming also had to come. It wasn't always just fun and games of, of playing with the steam engine. It was, yeah, we had to do work on the farm and it was almost a, an apprenticeship that as we would come home from school. Grandpa had a list of things that on his agenda he needed to have done, and a lot of those included uh, <laughs> the strong back of his grandsons. And so being able to either lift wood or, in the case of being able to climb up into the back of the track or the back of the truck so that I could then hoist the hose into the 55-gallon drum and fill it with water so that we could then take that to the pumpkins and the squash that were in the back uh, grass field. And then once we got the water there, it wasn't simply turning on a hose and a spigot and being able to, to draw that out, but to be able to then have to dip five gallon buckets and carry those. And there's things that you just don't learn if you're not, not doing it. And one thing I've learned too is, you know, through, through trial and error and with him is, you know, two five gallon buckets is easier to carry than one five-gallon bucket and so being able to to build up that carry and be able to carry those two five-gallon buckets and bring life-giving water to these plants which then ultimately you'd think about it man man the work here in july and august and this is this is hard stuff but then one of his things he liked to do was you know not just grow regular pumpkins but the massive pumpkins so that come Halloween, we'd have to come back with the tractor and the forks and be able to then pick up our pumpkin <laughs> with a piece of machinery because these things were several hundred pounds. 
just ginormous and to be able to see and have him talk about the hard work you put in helped create your pumpkin that was that was fun that was special stuff that yeah it's simple but at the same time it's it's profound as as we have a chance to celebrate my grandfather and we have a chance to reflect on his impact on our lives as we put him to rest it's it's those little things it's those little things that become profound and that we can then carry on and continue to now I want to make sure that I I take these same same lessons and same epiphanies that I've had through him and try to be able to then translate those into my kids and eventually my grandkids it's uh yeah it's really neat one another fun thing that I learned as well is that you know we're in, we're in an area where when we were doing a traditional plow or a traditional cultivate where we would have to turn the soil over we'd have to run the the plow through the field and we'd get off the bus and then of course grandpa's waiting with with the tractor with the bucket in the front and it's now time to go pick rocks and we need to get all the rocks out of the field in order for the planter to run through well as the disc has now brought up these larger pebbles as they were uh as they were called, we would then have to walk in front of the tractor and alongside the tractor, listening to <laughs> Dave be the captain and and point at certain rocks to pick up because those were going to be the issues. And it just seemed like the field never ended. It was just this sea of dirt that we would then walk and then just on uh, the next horizon there would be several more large stones that we would have to lift and dump into this bucket and to come across some that you would pick up and go to throw in and and him to just snicker from that seat like ah that one's too small throw it back it's not it's not ripe yet it's not big enough and then for like the longest time in the back subconscious you would actually begin to believe that that stones would grow and I would have to pick that one up next season but to be able to pick these up and then we'd come across one that is you know half submerged into the dirt and so I would get under one corner and try to heave with all my might and here I am a you know a small child but trying to lift the corner of one of these stones and it not budge at all for my brother to walk over and to grab another corner or another slide of it, and we both heave together to try and lift this monstrosity out of the ground, and it just not budge. To then have Dave up in the seat just give us the, well, give it a push, and (laughs) us look at him like, what have we been doing for the past three minutes here but tried to move a corner of the planet here that's not working to have him drop the bucket and try to drag it and try to pop it loose only to reveal that this stone after sliding a bunch of the dirt and soil away just continues to get bigger and bigger and that there is a type of stone you know i mean there's there's granite and there's quartz and and limestone and sandstone and, and the list goes on but to have an intimate knowledge of 
Leverite, a piece of uh, a piece of the earth there, a piece of the stone uh, called a Leverite. And you would then, of course, ask the question, well, what's what's Leverite? And he would reply, that's a Leverite there. He would cackle, and then we would continue on with our journey. So all that this week has just kind of been a flood of of what's been going on in my mind. Um, a friend, uh, and actually a former guest, Kate Cavanaugh, also dropped her uh, her podcast, The Groundwork. If you're into into farming, if you're into uh, tending the land, and I'm sure my the property managers would all flock over to this. This would be just a great podcast for you guys <clears throat> as a different perspective from someone who um, is looking to really manipulate the land, change the way that we view food um, and the way that we view soil. Like she is definitely something to, to look up. I'll leave... I'll leave that link in the show notes. But her opening ep- episode was basically her kind of just spilling the beans on why she's doing her project. And to have this week start off with with David passing and to then hear her episode talk about how much death has been a part of, of her life and how death... Uh, is absolute but at the same time it's it's ring doesn't stop immediately with uh the loss of someone or something but how it resonates on continually through creation how when we kill an animal that we're blessed to be able to acquire its its uh its body, its its meat, and all the parts that go along with that carcass, that that's extended all the way out for however long that that animal isn't isn't consumed yet. As we put it in our freezers and we we then prepare it, and then it nourishes us and it nourishes our our family and it brings us together. We surround the table of this piece of flesh and we consume it together. And then that takes us on to the next day where then we're able to then, through its energy, uh, be able to then pursue forward with our with our passions. How pieces of that animal, like either the hide or the bones, can get even used further for a longer period. Um, some of it as a sentimental value, as I, as I have several antlers and heads sitting here in front of me. At the same time, like the hide can be used to create a piece of clothing or a piece of uh, of tool work that you can that you can use, and just kind of hearing like this at that moment in time to really I don't want to say just kind of put a just cross the eyes, excuse me, dotted the eyes and cross the t's, and really just kind of like helped solidify that for me as I as I drove up from Kentucky to hear hear that. So if you're excited about uh soil and farming and tune into her her podcast as well because I know like that timing of that first episode where how life and death is just this balance and how things worked out was just a, a very critical thing for me. It was very very helpful. 
So, Kate, thank you so much if you hear this. When in the field, accuracy and precision count. That's why we switch our slug guns to rifled barrels, tune our arrows, and use a fish finder on the water. But why should our drive for control end there? The Tappacue line of meat probes gives an instantaneous look at the temperatures of our prized meals, both internal and the cooking chamber. Tappacue uses sturdy hardware made and assembled here in the U.S., along with their user-friendly, sophisticated software that connects to your smart device. Whether it's a traditional corded probe or the new cordless air probes that give you a wealth of freedom where wires would just get in the way. Adding a Tappacue meat probe can significantly help in getting to that medium rare on venison or waterfowl, ensuring your upland bird stays moist, or even charting your long cooks on a smoker. Visit tappacue.com or find the link in the show notes and use the code HUNT10, all uppercase, at checkout to save 10%. Adding a probe to your kit can make you one tap away from your cue. Now on to probably something that, that can be applicable now to your lives. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about turkey meat, specifically the turkey breast. I know a couple episodes ago we talked about different ways that you can use the turkey breast, um, whether you keep it as a whole crown, whether you then fillet it off the keel bone and off the rib side so you have one flat piece of meat, whether you end up cutting it up and uh, beating it out, tenderizing it, breading it, whatever whatever you're you're planning to do. We did an episode on that quite a while ago. But, I mean, I tell you, the gobblers are out. I've seen them in the fields. I think it's only a matter of time before we're able to get out and pursue those animals. I, however, won't be joining uh, that hunt. Not to say that I won't be real excited when my buddies end up bringing in their birds and be able to to help them pluck those things and to be able to uh, get the most out of their their prize. Well, I'll be front and center for that. But yeah, things are just busy, and so I'm I'm sitting the season out. I know it'd be a great time to be out there, but you know it it is what it is. But back to the the breast meat there. Um, when you're when you're taking apart that animal, we've talked extensively about plucking as opposed to skinning. Um, even for the aspect of, even if you don't want to eat the skin, that you're going to be able to then just be freeze this piece of meat until you figure out what you want to do with it. That's a great way of preserving uh, that meat to not have freezer burn is to keep that skin on. So taking the extra time and plucking that bird as best you can follow up with even a, a quick torch to hit all the, the pin feathers that you weren't able to get. And if you miss a couple, well, it's not that big a deal because in the recipes that we're, the recipe we're talking about today, you're going to end up taking that skin off anyway. Um, we're going to be talking about essentially a turkey steak, a, what do I want to say, a naked schnitzel, a bald schnitzel. Basically going with a, a marinated turkey breast as opposed to having it breaded like a traditional German schnitzel would be. Is it delicious breaded? Absolutely. Would I do it a hundred times? You betcha. But sometimes you want to do something a little different. You want to then change just what you're doing uh, 
instead of having to be able to have your your three uh for your breading station set up where you've got your your flour, your egg, and then your breadcrumb. Sometimes you don't want to mess with that, and you want to be able just to throw the piece of meat onto the grill, and that is a fabulous way. In fact, that's how we enjoyed just this past uh, past Saturday here is we had friends over, and of course I, I didn't have the wild bird, but I did have the domesticated uh, from the farm. But from that, I used a cubed piece of meat, a cubed piece of uh, breast meat. And to cube a piece of meat, uh, at the farm we use an in, basically an industrial piece of equipment. It's got two rollers, and the rollers consist of a whole bunch of serrated knives. And these two rollers interconnect so that when a piece of cut breast is dropped through or dropped into the slot, it is run through those blades, and it's torn and pressed and cut. And what comes out the other side is a perforated piece of meat ready for the grill, ready for uh, marinade, ready for whatever application you want to use it for. But it's now fork tender. How do we get that process? How do we get this uh, machinery uh, result that we can then use in our kitchens? There's a couple different ways, one of which I think I still need to just pick one up because now well, I just I've been using my go-to cast iron uh pan. I've got a a 10-inch cast iron pan from Lodge and being able to then hold the rim of that and then just to be able to beat the piece of meat that I've got between two pieces of either plastic wrap or I've sacrificed a Ziploc bag and cut off the top of it so that it's more like a book and I can slide the piece of meat between and I just lift and drop that cast iron onto that piece of meat repeatedly and I start at the top and I just work my way down using that uh, the rim on the bottom just letting the weight of the cast iron pan do the work just drop it and through that beating it eventually tears and flattens that piece of meat out. So it's going to get thinner, it's going to get wider, and all those little connective pieces that were holding that that piece of meat together, it's now released at that point. They've been torn, they've been severed, and now you've got something that's going to be easier to chew. It just has a little bit more of a softer bite to it, as opposed to if, if you didn't do that. Um. So there's the cast iron pan. Second one is the classic meat mallet. A lot of people have a hammer with uh, little points on the end of it. That is a great tool to be able to use. It is a, a uh, unitasker. It is a one, <laughs> one job wonder. That's all it does. So having that in the kitchen, you've probably got, if you've got one, great. If you don't, hey, you got a cast iron pan, I assume. The third one is a little bit of a trinket, but I think it's going to be one of those things that as we continue to find new ways to use both our our fowl and our, our waterfowl, our upland birds, and along with uh, our land animals here, even the um, you know deer and elk and pronghorn and whatever, you name it, having a perforator or essentially this spring-loaded press that shoots 
without a better term, nails down into the piece of meat. That you would put that piece of meat on your cutting board, you would drop, you would set this perforator on top, and then you would press down, compress the springs, pushing the needles, pushing the nails into the piece of meat, creating the perforations, and then being able to lift, change where it's going to be set, push again, and just repeat this process. Um, a friend of mine, Jeff Bunda, uh, used this in several of his recipes that, I, that I've seen, and it works out phenomenal. He says you can pick one up for like 10 15 bucks, and it doesn't take up a whole lot of drawer space in your kitchen, so that might be something that I just eventually need to do. But being able to perforate that meat is going to, yes, do the same thing as the uh, lodge beating would do, where I would be able to break that up, drop those needles on in, and sever those connections, perforate the meat, and just create channels for added flavor. So given those these three options here, the next thing is what we want to do is, yeah, we wanted it to be like a soft bite. We wanted something that you could use a fork to cut as opposed to be, you know, you would need a knife to do this. But then the second part of this is, yeah, we want to add a bit of flavor. And the reason I go through in talking about this process of being able to tenderize uh, a piece of white turkey meat is that it really is a a uh, canvas ready to be added onto. Turkey in its own is a is a great flavor, but at the same time, it takes on other flavors extremely well, especially when you add a marinade. Now we've talked previously that marinades they only go about a quarter inch into whatever piece of meat so when i throw a throw a whole muscle whether it be turkey whether it be venison whether whatever it may be into a marinade i know that only the quarter inch on the outside is going to get uh flavored but essentially worked on by that marinade a marinade and a brine yeah even though they're similar their their makeups are different a brine is is water and salt, and you're using diffusion and osmosis to impart moisture into the piece of meat, whereas a marinade is really that flavor element. That's going to be adding the flavor. It is going to do a bit of moisture retention and adding moisture to what you're, what you're going to be cooking. It's going to widen your range from underdone to overdone, so it's kind of a, it helps you out there a little bit. But a marinade is, is three, three parts. It's going to be an acid, it's going to be an oil, and it's going to be then your flavoring. So you could say the most basic marinade out there would be vinegar, olive oil, salt. That would be nuts and bolts, basic marinade. And would it work? Absolutely. Would it enhance the flavor? It would impart the salt deep into whatever piece of meat that you were going to and flavor in deeper. And we can, you can use that, or at the same time, we can then get really fancy with several different marinades. Um, one of the easiest ones that I have found that works, that's just a super crowd pleaser when it comes to turkey, is zesty Italian dressing. Zesty, the same stuff that you would throw on to the pasta salad, or that you would that would go on to a regular salad that you were that you're using, but zesty Italian. Dressing is essentially a marinade. It's it's emulsified uh, vinegar and oil, and it has 
um, several pieces of herbs and spices that are in that that really just plays well with with turkey. And so after you've perforated your piece of meat, I guess we should go back to the breast here. How big a piece should I be cutting off? Well, I would say, first off, let's cut across the grain because we know if we cut with the grain, it's going to be a tougher chew. It's going to, you know, same thing with like with jerky or even steak. You cut with the grain, it's going to be chewier. You cut across the grain, you're shortening those muscle fibers. It's going to be much more tender. So I would cut across the grain, and if I were to describe a whole turkey breast here, I would have essentially the lobe side, which is with the large rounded section, and then there's the tail, tail section or the point section where it tapers to one end and begins to flatten out. It's funny how a turkey breast looks oddly similar to a brisket if you're going to be able to smoke a whole brisket there it's like a a mini version of a brisket so i would start way down at the point and use that as my schnitzel or my steak making when it comes to to wild turkey so at that point start you know probably knob off the the knob there at the end and then work on that guy that would be a great way to butterfly the tip to be able to use that piece rather than throw it to grind or just have a fat steak you don't want to have one of those but be able to then butterfly that flatten it out and then you can use your pan or perforator to then expand on that but i would start at that end and i would cut them maybe a half inch maybe the width of your fingers half inch to three quarters of an inch thick and then at that point as you get closer to the lobe you can see like wow this is going to be a big piece of steak then take that and cut that in half um once you've got it flat on your board. But by going across grain and then adding in the perforations, you're going to have the tenderest piece of meat that you can. But at the same time, by cutting cross grain and by perforating, you're going to be able to then open up that piece of meat very wide to accept that marinade. That is Zesty Italian. There's, there's quite a bit of vinegar in that. And you'll see how that... Uh, that marinade goes to work very quickly, especially with that acid. Um, if you leave it in there too long, it will start to really break down that piece of meat, and it's going to be hard for you to get that back out of the marinade. Like The weight of the steak itself will start to tear apart. That's too long of a marinade. I'd say for our setup, especially with, with the breast meat of a turkey, 30 to 45 minutes is all you're going to need. And I've witnessed that with the Zesty Italian. Anything past about 30 minutes, and you start to really get uh, pretty fragile pieces. So I try to aim for 30 minutes in the marinade, and then that goes directly onto the grill. So that's probably the easiest pre-made marinade that you can pick up and be able to work with. I'd say that would be the easiest one. Um, Second one is to make a marinade on your own. I'd like to be able to then just give you measurements, but we all know how we cook here, that sometimes it's on feel. Sometimes it's on, you have to see it. So for me to say like, you need a, you know, four tablespoons of this, or you want to be able to have a cup of this or a half a cup, it's, it's a bit tough. But at the same time, for me to describe kind of what you're looking for is going to be, uh, be beneficial. So 
uh, a marinade that I've also enjoyed. I've done this on um, dark meat when it comes to when it comes to turkey. Um, this work I've had it on pork works out extremely well. And I can see that it only gets better Bob, by using this marinade when we get to uh, working with the breast meat. And I've, I've mentioned it before, but that's the lime, chili, ginger uh, mix-up. That those three things are just a fabulous setup. In fact, citrus and turkey go hand-in-hand. Hand. Uh, traditional Mexican cuisine pairs turkey a lot with lemon, orange, lime. So having that lime, chili, ginger uh, mixture put together, starting off with, with olive oil. And for our acid, we're going to go with uh, juice of that lime. So being able to squeeze out the, as much of that juice, I'd say it's probably going to be two or three limes that you're going to want to do. And like any time that we're doing something with citrus, uh, that zest on the outside, that really colorful skin on that outside. Get yourself that grater and grate off that zest of uh, of a full lime. Don't be don't be hesitant to to go to work with that because man, the punch that that lime provides uh, just from the zest is so phenomenal. So what if you're using that citrus? Even if we get the next one, I'm going to talk about too. You want to be able to do that, but zest out that uh, lime. Then cut that lime, squeeze out the juice. I'm thinking probably, yeah, two to three limes, depending on how big they are. If you got to add a splash of vinegar, that's fine. So we've got our olive oil. We've got our uh, our acid, which is the, the, the lime with a little bit of vinegar if you needed it. And then chili. <clears throat> I would just go with a chili flake, like a red red chili flake. For my gardeners, if you've got your jalapenos on standby, uh, canned up, this would be a great time to use those. Uh, I wouldn't say put it in the seeds, but you know, heat is one of those things you're going to have to figure out. But a chili flake would work out awesome, and I that's that's my been my go-to is I just have the red chili flake uh, just sitting in the pantry, so be able to shake in uh, a good amount of that. Ginger, you're going to want to be able to grate that out. Um, with your with your grater, and I'm thinking only a couple tables, couple tablespoons of that, even maybe uh, maybe one tablespoon, depending how your mixture ends up coming together, and then finish off with salt. Once that's in there, we've got the lime, chili, ginger, salt. Once that's all in there, just whisk that up real nice. So not only are you emulsify, well, beginning to emulsify that oil and vinegar, but get all the uh, seasonings brought together. Drop that meat in, and then it becomes, you got it in your bag. Seal the bag, try to get as much air out of it, and then, yeah, let it do its job. It's going to be about 30 minutes. Probably say at 15 minutes, go massage the bag, roll it over, make sure that there was no spots that didn't get touched. And, again, that would go directly onto the grill. Um, Third one, again, it uses citrus, but we're going to go with, like, a lemon pepper. And so we're still going with that idea that there's going to be this this spice element, this heat element in the form of the black pepper. Um, but at the same time, it offers the acid of the lemon. So on the base of this one, you're going to add in your your olive oil. And as a way to kind of help this out too, adding a splash 
of Dijon mustard helps as a great binder when it comes to this uh, this lemon pepper recipe there. So just a you know tablespoon of Dijon mustard as a binder just to help adhere that to the meat. Lime, you want to zest that lime again, or excuse me, not lime, lemon, lemon, zest out that lemon. Get as much as you can off of one. Cut it in half, squeeze out that juice, make sure you don't drop in the seeds, and that's going to be your acid portion. I'm thinking one to two lemons would probably be good, depending on how much you're doing, but that would that would probably be a good starting point. So we've got our oh, oh, olive oil with the added Dijon mustard. We've added our acid now at this point. Now it's for our seasonings. Uh, heavy bit of salt, good amount of black pepper. And then I would even say if you wanted to add in a parsley or if you wanted to add in a cilantro, uh, this would be a good point to do that. Just add a little bit of greenery pop, but at the same time add a little bit of, uh, um, if you're a cilantro fan, I was going to say there, there's a lot of people that are cilantro fans and then there's a few out there that are like, listen, that's soap. If you don't, if you're not into the cilantro, don't add the cilantro. But that freshness that that provides is a great add in there. Whisk that up. Same thing, half hour, uh, 45 minutes in there, and then we go directly to the grill. So those are those three that I'm going to offer you today. Is I got easy, and then I've got not too hard. Hopefully that helps you out. But yeah, we've brought brought that to the grill. So we're back to that old idea of like, why do we use a marinade? Well, one, to impart flavor, and now two, to impart a bit of moisture and widen our section from underdone to overdone. And I feel that in the world of turkey, the big no-no, the big faux pas would be the overdoneness. You want to be able to make basically the white meat, even whiter. So that if you were to cut into that steak and you would open it up that you have gotten to the middle where it is done. You can't, when it comes to poultry, its makeup doesn't allow for rare, medium, rare, <laughs> medium. It's it's done. You, you, you got to be done. Um, so with that makeup that that turkey allows you have to be able to know like when the right done is done and the firmness of that that piece of meat if you can feel a real squish into that piece of meat i would say it, it needs to stay on the heat longer um what's tough about doing like a naked schnitzel is that it's really difficult to get a probe in there to know that how how much time you have to go it's also tough to, um, what do I want to say? It would be tough to use the probe on that. It's tough to do a reverse sear where I would get it done and then add a char to it. It would actually even be really tough to do a sous vide on this piece of meat for the fact of how, uh, how fragile it is because once it does get cooked, it is going to then hold that shape and you're going to have basically a ball. So, Going with a with going with just a forward sear onto a hot grill, sear it on both sides, 
And if you feel by pressing into it, if you feel that there's too much skush, there's too much give to that piece of meat, I end up taking them and then stacking them on the side, doing an indirect. So start with a st- start with a sear, move them to the side fire, and do an indirect. Especially if you're lifting in the the lid of your grill this time of year, could be 65 out, and you might you might not need to to conserve as much heat. Could be like what it was yesterday, 30, and I <laughs> I kept having to drop the lid just to conserve heat. But being able to do an indirect, so start with a sear and go to an indirect heat, just to finish those off is going to help keep those moist. It's more of a gentle heat on that point. So we've gotten that farther on the grill. You pull those off and be able to serve those to your very happy uh, patrons to be able to, to enjoy that. So yeah, here we are in turkey season, and we're going to be using more of that turkey. I know I've talked without fail about drumsticks and thighs and how we want to use that and skin can offer a, a whole host of different uses and and flavor adds and the fat essentially under a fat that a bird has is going to be underneath the skin so if you can use that that's that's a good way to use that but yeah we went back to the white meat uh and just to continue to to use that if you didn't want to go the breaded route i hope this kind of offers you some inspiration that yeah it's not a new idea but maybe it can be a fresh idea as we come into spring so folks if you have a chance call up your uh your grandparents or your uh your elderly loved ones just tell them you love them because there is going to be a day where where death does ensue and that's that's what i'm going through right now and we're we're grieving, but at the same time, we're celebrating the life that David Otto lived. But at the same time, we're also going to be enjoying the fruits of of our harvest as we go and we impart death upon a bird that we bring home. We want to let that death not go on the wayside, but to enjoy that bird the best that we can. But folks, whether it's a uh, pocket knife from your grandfather or whether it's the knife that you're going to be using to make these steaks. Just have that knife be sharp.